This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Dr. Anthony Fauci talks about the deep reticence in parts of the African-American community to getting the COVID-19 vaccine because of the Tuskegee experiment. The reluctance is understandable because that is a dark period in the history of our country where federal government medical people uh, did things that right now would be totally and completely unacceptable. Coming up in this episode of Colors. A hard look at the deadly riots in the Capitol and how they compare to the Black Lives Matter protests. This week was a week like none other in American history. It was uh, surreal to be watching people scaling the wall, the Western wall of the of the Capitol building to get up to force their way inside. And I, I just don't even know how that's possible. Five to six layers of guards armed to the teeth were posted around memorials in Washington during the Black Lives Matter protest. At the Capitol, there was a bike rack. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. This edition of Colors is dedicated to Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm Black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Well, this week was a week like none other in American history. We all saw what happened on Wednesday when this very ceremonial thing about the Electoral College meeting to officiate and say, yes, the new president is Joe Biden, etc. Um, our program is meant to be apolitical. I will say right now, from my viewpoint, this is going to be a very hard line for me after watching that. We'll try to stay political, but it it was what it was. I'm in Florida. I was watching it via media, mostly television. JJ, you were in Washington and you cover national security. And if there ever was a day when national security became a big domestic issue, it was on Wednesday. Can you tell me about what happened from your view? Absolutely. On Tuesday, December 1st, Gabriel Sterling, who was the voting systems implementation manager for the state of Georgia in a very emotional press conference said, if these claims about the election being stolen continue, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get shot. Somebody's going to get killed. All of it happened yesterday in the last place on earth that I thought it would happen, right there inside the Capitol. 
Yesterday was a day unlike any day I've seen in my entire career of covering anything in Washington. And I'll start by telling you this. It's a comparison um, to something that happened in 2001. I was on 9-11 across the street from the Capitol at the VOA building on the day of the attack. I can remember standing on the roof of the VOA building and watching the Pentagon burn. I can remember before the plane crashed into the Pentagon being on the ground in front of the Capitol outside and noticing all of these black SUVs with blue lights driving frantically around. None of that happened yesterday. None of that took place yesterday. There was a crowd of people from what I saw that marched from the mall up to the Capitol and broke in. Yeah, and I, the, it brought me back to, in my, in my memory, the closest I've ever seen to this before. 1998, um, I believe it was two gunmen somehow got by two Capitol Police uh, whom they killed and went into uh, Tom DeLay's office, who was the majority, well, he was Republican whip uh, in 1998, and into Dennis Hester's, uh, Hester's office, who was not the Speaker of the House at the time, but later would become the Speaker of the House. And I remember at that time thinking, how on earth did you get by security? Who's, you know, they're always at that door. They've got gun detectors there. I mean, metal detectors. They're always looking out. They're frisking people. And I couldn't believe that happened. Then we had, you know, 9-11, as you talked to, and everything about security was beefed up to the max. So it was surreal to be watching people scaling the wall the Western wall of the, of the Capitol building to get up, to force their way inside. And I I just don't even know how that's possible for that to happen because my experience, and you've been there too, is that you can't get anywhere anymore around the Capitol unless you've got, you've got to have clearance. You've got to be searched. You've got to be wanted. You've got to, you know, you just can't walk in like there was a time you could, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. So, I don't know how it happened. I will say that I talked to a source who would know whose history has been in the security business. That's all I can say. And he said it was, quote, a total failure by Capitol Police, unquote. Um, Yeah. You see that as a failure by the Capitol Police or or where where do we lay the blame? Because some some blame has to be laid. Well, it started with the president's speech. That's where the blame, that's where it lay, because that's where it started. Um, the Capitol Police did not do a good job. Uh, things didn't go well for them, but they didn't light the match. They didn't start that. That started on the ellipse of the White House, and I know I'm going to get some grief from people about this. But well, I said we're going to, this is not, we're going to have to yeah, but listen, walk a fine line, because this you cannot ignore th- what you're about to say. This is not political. This is about a person who chose, who happens to be in politics and happens to be the president of the United States, who chose to take an action that he chose. People in his own party, people inside the White House, people that he appointed to positions, people that served under him have vilified him since then for doing it. But that's where it started. The Capitol Police 
simply had to deal with this. They should have been prepared, but they weren't. Uh, but they simply had to deal with something that somebody else started. Here's my big problem with this. In June, the Lincoln Memorial, during the Black Lives Matter protest, and I've heard from at least a dozen people. Some of these people are high-level people uh, who uh, work in law enforcement, intelligence. Some of them work uh, are are elected representatives. Some of them work uh, inside uh, key uh, national security posts. Five to six layers of guards armed to the teeth were posted around memorials in Washington during the Black Lives Matter protest. At the Capitol, there was a bike rack. <laughs> okay? That, that, was, that was the barrier, a bike rack. And this is befuddling to most people who think and talk about this today. But from my perspective... It just goes to show that what we're doing on colors is absolutely necessary right now, Chris. Yeah, and 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 to that point, the befuddling part. Um, incoming Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, said uh, on Thursday that uh, Mike Stanger, who is the uh, Sergeant at Arms, is going to be fired. I ho- in addition to firing him because he's at the top, he probably should be fired. I also hope that they bring him up for hearings to find out what the hell happened, because that can something like that can never happen again, because you make a very good point. Now, the the one difference is the Capitol Hill police are not in charge of the Lincoln Memorial. So it's you're talking about two different policing bodies here as to who decided yeah. you know, how many uh, troops to have at the Lincoln Memorial versus how many to have at the Capitol. But that I mean, that's right. a. You know, that's uh, I, a distinction without a difference, really. Yeah, if I could jump in briefly and then you go back to your point, please, because you're making some valid points there. The, the law enforcement sources that I've been in touch with since early in December have been meeting, all of them, uh, conference calls and Zoom meetings or whatever they do uh, in, the, in a classified setting. They've been meeting and they've been talking about this and they've been planning for this. So that includes the entire uh, federal police force, you know, all of them, the federal protective service, Capitol police, park police, you know, department of interior, DHS, secret service, they all DC police. They've all been meeting. They've all been talking about the same thing. And one very good uh, source told me this morning, uh, that they have been all looking at the same intelligence for all these weeks. So it is just a mystery as to how Capitol Police could not see this coming. It's, yes. <laughs> a total failure by Capitol Police is is absolutely right. Um, there's just no reason. I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Black Lives Matter demonstrations and what we saw yesterday. Um, you know, I, look, there's a difference between rioting and protests. Protests, fine. Rioting, breaking and entering, um, looting stores, wrong. I mean, there's, there's a difference. What I saw mostly for Black Lives Matter were peaceful demonstrations with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all over the country. I saw them on television, of course. I also saw them here in St. Petersburg, Florida, where there were daily marches, which then later became weekly marches, and that now they're not doing it so much anymore. But they were peaceful. They were large. 
they were disruptive in the sense that they would take up a whole street, but they were making a point and they did not resort to violence. So, and I, and you and I have seen over the years, dozens, probably scores of protests in Washington. Um, and I've been to some both as a reporter, um, an observer, and then watching it uh, on television and reporting it on the radio that they've, I mean, I remember the million man March. Well, I don't know if you could call that a protest or what you want to call that. That went off fine. Yeah. Uh, there, 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 you know, nothing bad happened. So it, it, what's curious to me is that you can do it. And, and I'm not going to excuse, you know, the, the looters and people that went in and stole stuff out of Saks Fifth Avenue in New York and broke windows. No, that's wrong. Yeah. You're, you're robbing somebody's livelihood. That's 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 not right. But peaceful protest is the American way. If those people had just protested peacefully, waving their flags, it'd be one thing. But J.J., you and I have talked about this Confederate battle flag. It was flying inside the capital of the United States yesterday, for God's sake. Yeah, and this is where and why that can't be excused. What took place can't be excused because people who were masquerading under the pretense of exercising their First Amendment right just devolved into a band of marauders. I mean, I can remember speaking to some people who were in the Capitol yesterday that said, or, or, or on Wednesday, that said the place was trashed. Offices, we didn't see all of this, uh, you know, on a grand scale, but there were some offices that were simply trashed. There was debris all over the building. Things were broken. Things were stolen. Uh, and there, it, it was vandalism. It was trespassing. You know, the mayor of D.C. is calling it domestic terrorism. Four people died up there. Mm-hmm. Four people. Uh, and this is a situation where this was not about a protest. This was illegal activity, regardless of how you look at it. Because, first of all, they broke into the Capitol. They did not go through the le- the legal and lawful procedures to get in. They weren't wanted or checked for weapons. And lo and behold, of course, there were some weapons, I'm told, that were inside of the building. And, you know, um, also illegal. Yes. Thank God that uh, it wasn't any worse than it was. But I have to go back to this whole idea about who was doing it and how that was treated differently or might have been treated differently than if those people that had gone into the Capitol had been Black Lives Matter protesters. This is something that has been brought up countless times to me since this all went down on Wednesday. And, you know, this is people telling me this is what they're saying. If that had been tens of thousands of young black people or if that had been tens of thousands of Muslims, if that had been blah, 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 anything but a group of mostly white people from the South or wherever they're from, this would would have turned out to be much different. I can't say or attest to how it would have turned out, but I have some deep suspicions that something yesterday uh, that that what took place on on Wednesday was handled a lot differently than the situation that was handled. The situation was handled during the summer. Yeah, I, I will. I will say this. It is a miracle um, that only four people died because uh, the when the National Guard showed up. But even before that, 
it would have been within the right of the rights of the security that was there to use live ammunition to shoot these people because they had broken into the capital of the United States, which is illegal. They were carrying firearms, which is illegal. They were trashing the office of somebody like the Speaker of the House, which is illegal. Uh, they were going through her desk, I guess, uh, leaving her more or less threatening notes, which is illegal. You know, I, I kept thinking good for the police for showing some restraint here for not killing a whole bunch of people and making this worse than it is. So good for them for that. Um, would that have happened if it was a, a group of, you know, I don't know, 10,000 black people trying to get into the Capitol? Yeah, I, it very well could have turned out differently. I, I, you know, as you say, there's no way for us to prove one way or the other on that. But I, I don't I can't imagine that this was sympathy on the part of these officers, because these are police officers whose job is to guard the capital of the United States. Yeah. I mean, they know that they're putting themselves at risk to be there because the capital is a target. Yeah, I'm I, I, I'm just angry, Chris. I'm really angry about this. And I'm not angry as as a black man. I mean, yeah, I am a black man and not trying to change that um, and happy to be a black man. But I'm just angry as an American. Seriously, I'm angry as an American because this this was a situation that trashed everybody's reputation. And it was instigated by the guardian of that reputation, the person that's supposed to be the guardian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a woman, three, four people died there, you know, and like I said, the Capitol Police didn't light that fire, but they had to put it out and they didn't do a good job of it. But a half dozen phone calls from people that I know that are involved in, in, in domestic and I'm sorry, international politics from overseas to check on me to see how my city or this country is doing is heartwarming. But it's also sad to me. Because we kept hearing this whole business about a banana republic yesterday. You know, I'm sorry. This is not that. What this is, is a country that we're, we're in a fallen position right now. And black folks, black and brown people have been stepped on, stepped over, pushed aside for much, much less behavior, much less threatening or risky or dangerous behavior in the past. And I saw pictures of cops, maybe Capitol Police, whom I were taking selfies with some of these people that got into the Capitol. Really? Yes. And I would, it, I would assume they'll be fired. There were also videos of police officers moving the barriers to let them in. Now, granted, the barrier moving thing is is very possibly a tactical decision because if you look at the video, at least the one I saw, it was taken from the back behind the police and, you know, maybe they were outnumbered. Maybe that had to happen. But the selfies and, you know, <laughs> there's I just have a really bad feeling about all of this. And I'm just very, very angry about the fact that this happened in the first place because it did not have to happen. You're listening to Colors. 
My name is Elena Fortney. I am Hispanic American and I live in Ashburn, Virginia. My story takes place five years ago in 2016 at the height of the presidential election. At the time, I was worried about the phrase, build the wall, a slogan coined by the Trump campaign in reference to border security between the U.S. and Mexico. I thought about my mother, brother, and sister, who immigrated from Panama in the 80s and became naturalized citizens. I was hurt by the idea that my mother's citizenship could be questioned because of her accent or appearance, even after 30 years of being an American citizen. A friend of mine was confused about my concern and innocently asked why my mother would ever have to worry if she hadn't committed a crime. That day, we went to a grocery store in Arlington, Virginia, where something unexpected happened. A white man approached us, accompanied by a female. He made a hand gesture, mimicking the shape of a gun, pointing it at my face, and said, BAM. We stood there in shock as they walked away the woman profusely apologetic for the man's behavior. My friend wanted to go after him, but I stopped her. If this man was comfortable enough to pretend to shoot me in the head, I did not want to find out what he would do when provoked. After we left the store, I turned to my friend and said what happened back there is exactly why I'm worried and why everyone should be worried. I am saddened to see the surge in racism that has taken place across America. What I find most heartbreaking is that the fear and discomfort I felt in that single moment is something that minorities struggle with every day. We have a responsibility to stand up for each other. We need to stand against hate. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Can I can I ask you something from a security viewpoint, and then I want to move, if it's all right with you, I want to sure. move on to a um, a different topic that happened this week, remarkable topic that happened this week. Um, if you were advising President Biden to, um, about his inauguration, the venue of his inauguration, would you advise him to have it on the west terrace of the Capitol as he's planning on doing it with very limited attendance, or? Would it perhaps be better just to do it inside the White House because of what we saw on Wednesday? I would absolutely advise him to do it outside. I would advise him to have a parade. I would advise him to walk a good part of that route. Really? Yes. And I would. I mean, why? I'll get to that. Just one, you know, just just one second. I would I would advise him to do all of that. And as much as possible, because the presidency is not about a person. It's 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 an office and it's a symbol of this country. It's a symbol of that. Excuse me a second. Mm-hmm. You OK? Yeah, just give me a second. <clears throat> The presidency is a symbol of that shining city on the hill. Mm-hmm. And the moment we start allowing people like those thugs who broke into the Capitol and rattled 
the the psyche of the entire country to do that and get away with it and retreat behind doors and barriers and fears, then we need to turn in our cards as as that shining city on the hill. So I would advise him to go do everything that you possibly can in a public way to show, just as the Congress did yesterday uh, on Wednesday when they went ahead and, you know, did their business and made President-elect Biden the official president, you know, come January 20th, I would advise him to do everything he can publicly. And that, that being said, make sure that every single police and law enforcement agency try like hell to make sure that Washington there is, it will, will, will never has, will be safer than it's ever been. All right. Um, this week, another remarkable thing happened. Did you ever in your life think that you would see a black preacher from Georgia elected to the United States Senate? And yet it happened. How did that make you feel as an African-American who grew up in the South, who's, I guess it's all right for me to say your father was a preacher. Yes. Um, what do you think? Wow. This turned out to be kind of an emotional show here. That's know. okay, man. This is an emotional week. And I'm just thinking about, I was thinking about your dad when that happened. And I just thought I, I would think that he would have been just wowed by the fact that a black preacher from Georgia has just been elected to the United States Senate, who's, I think he talks about his mother was literally working on plantations, picking cotton. And he ends up, admittedly, he's, his pulpit is one of the most famous in the, in the country because that's Martin Luther King's pulpit. But nonetheless, it happened. So if you can get through your emotion, and I'm glad you have it because I have it too, um, tell me yeah. how to feel. I might not get there with you, but we will get to the promised land. Those are the words of Dr. King. That famous speech mm. that he made so, so long ago in 1963. And in another speech, and he talked about how justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. He talked about Stone Mountain, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And you know the story behind the whole situation there. This, this you know, I'd, I'd forgotten, but yes, he did mention Stone Mountain, Georgia. And that's, wow, nice tie-in. So when I saw that this development had taken place, I started thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. saying, I've been to the mountaintop. And he said, I have seen things. And he talked about the fact that we would get there. And I think a lot of people doubted that. I probably doubted that from time to time throughout my life. But when I heard this news yesterday, I started thinking, that man really was, he really had been to the mountaintop. 
and he had looked out over everything and he'd seen it. And here we are. Exactly what he said would happen. We don't know. We didn't know who the names, who they would be, but it's it's happened. And I couldn't be more proud. That's how I feel. And as far as the part about my dad goes, I thought about him as well yesterday evening. Once I got home from the, the chaos here in Washington, I thought about him. As you said, you know, he spent his life working hard to make a better life for me and my family and my mom and sisters. And I, I envision him with this sigh of relief. We're not done. It's not over. But, you know, at the end of the, at the end of a day when you've accomplished something and something was accomplished in Georgia, there's always a sigh of relief. That's what I was thinking and feeling, Chris. When you woke up yesterday morning, when you woke up Wednesday morning, January 6th, did you have any inkling that we'd be in the kind of trouble that we were in that day? No, not that. Not to the extent of people getting into the Capitol, which, as we said previously, I literally thought that was impossible to do. Um, having been subjected to the security there on numerous occasions, you just don't, that just doesn't happen. So, no, I knew there were going to be protests. I knew there were going to be flag waving. Um, I knew that there were, you know, it, yes, there was a potential for it to turn somewhat rowdy, but the idea that somebody, people could scale and get into and break windows and force open and break, get into the capital of the United States of America and into the Senate and House offices and just run amok, I would not ever have thought that would happen. I can remember one time, and this will give you an idea of when it was, but the, the Nationals, I went to a Nationals game. And I didn't want to wait around by the subway, which is about, I don't know, um, a mile or so uh, from the Capitol building. I decided to walk past the Capitol building over to Union Station to catch the subway to go home. And I was walking across an area I've walked across a lot of times on the east side of the Capitol. And all of a sudden, I got surrounded by people with big weapons saying, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm walking over to the to the train station over there. They said, please move out there. You cannot walk across here. And I'm thinking, I've walked across that area before many, many times, but that's the way it was. And, mm -hmm. and so therefore it's daylight and you see these people coming down Pennsylvania Avenue and you're at the Capitol and you're the freaking Capitol police. No, I did not see that company coming. I, I still find it hard to believe the image. Well, I think the thing that, I will remember from inside the Capitol more than anything, and it's a an horrifying image, was a man had a Confederate flag, large yes. Confederate flag, parading back and forth mm -hmm. in Statuary Hall. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that. Yeah, that was uh, among in the capital of the United States. Um, it's just, well, you know, you and I have discussed that, that Confederate battle flag issue on numerous podcasts. Um, I don't see them as much here in Florida as I did before. I still see people with their Trump flags. I, now, I, I have to admit, I, I haven't been out a lot in the last day or so. 
I would think that particularly after the Electoral College finally got to vote, that the, the idea of waving those flags is, you know, I mean, it's passe, it's ridiculous. Um, so many members of the inner circle of President Trump have resigned in protest that I, I would think that that's over. But I don't know. They may decide to wave their flags some more. But um, yeah. I don't know to what end at this point. So to yeah. answer your question, I never thought I would see that. And I still have a hard time believing I, if, if, if you told me that was that sounds like something that somebody would say, yeah, that whole thing was staged. That was like the moon landing never happened. Yeah. I kind of almost feel like that. That's hard to believe that happened in that building where, again, you and I both know from going up there, the security is just usually incredible. Last thing for me, and I'm not saying this to be patronizing at all. I'm not saying it to be self-aggrandizing or self-promotional at all. I'm not saying this to put this podcast up on a pedestal above any other effort to do exactly what we're doing. But I can tell you, I go to bed at night and I'm able to sleep a whole lot better because of you. Oh. And our ability to civilly discuss our differences and things that impact the races, not just blacks and whites, which is what we are, but the, the entire planet. And it is at this moment that I'm most proud of this program because what we have been trying to do is now more important than ever, even more important than it was when we started this, because I think now people start to see more of those nuances that we saw the day George Floyd was murdered. We saw that play out again in public on Capitol Hill, no less, on live television all over the world for hours yesterday. We saw what happens when you ignore the truth. We saw what happens when you embrace conspiracy theories. We saw what happens when you start doing what people call dog whistles. And those dog whistles were two people who have been associated with white supremacists and racists and some of the, the lowest common denominators in the world. I'm so grateful that you and I have this dialogue and we have this program because it shows me that we can continue to talk and continue to move forward in this world right now, which is so troubled. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. To those of you who listen to us, thank you. And uh, we do like to hear from you. We are available at thecolorspodcast at gmail.com. We do read all your emails. We'll talk about some of them on the air. If you have suggestions for guests, if you have criticism, if you have compliments, all are welcome. And we thank you very much for listening, as always. This program was recorded on January 6th. Since then, the death toll from the Capitol riot has risen to five as of today, January 8th. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Sugar and spice and everything nice. That's what little white girls are made of. 
while black girls are more likely to be suspended from school, seen as more promiscuous, and less likely to be believed when sexually assaulted. The importance of the messages being sent to little black girls and black women. Say their names, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland. Then ask yourself, do black girls' lives really matter? That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, it's time to go. And um, as we've said a couple of times, this has been a very emotional show. So we'd like to say thank you to some people. And that would include the family of Officer Brian Sicknick. You gave us a tremendous person. And he was taken away from us this week because of senseless violence at the Capitol. And we're grateful to you. We know that this probably won't mean much right now because of your grief. But just know we're thinking of you. We also want to thank Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Antonello Favro, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Elena Fortney, Ellie Rowe, Greg Strassel, Sean Anderson, Beth Gibbs, Adisa Hargett-Robinson, Fonda Mwangi, Dimitri Sotis, Sean Anderson, Brennan Hazelton, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Cooper Connell. And most of all, a gigantic thank you to you for listening to us. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.